Thanks, Bruce. Isn't it great to be here this morning? Um, good morning to you all. Of what are we afraid? I'm sort of um, preceded by the Archbishop this morning, but um, bear with me. Of what are we afraid? And a related question I hope you'll see is, where do you want your name? Maybe we're afraid of missing out. Uh, maybe it's financial ruin, disability, sickness or death. Well, let's see how that plays out. Our story so far in Judges, it was in the days of the Judges that people did what was right in their own eyes. And we have the cycle of Judges that you'll remember. How it went from the, the people's sin um, to the people cry out to a time of peace. But these were the days of Abimelech, who killed his 70 brothers in order to put himself forward as leader. These were the days of Samson, who gets a Philistine wife. These are the days of the Levite who takes a concubine from Bethlehem. And that leads, the way she was treated, leads to the tribe of Benjamin almost being wiped out. And in turn that leads to the remaining Benjaminites being told, well, we can't have you marry somebody from us, so you'll have to go and snatch a wife from the young dancers at the feast to the Lord. That's the sort of things that... Uh, the situation that things are deteriorated to. Our story is such a contrast with the rest of Judges. Chapter 1, during this era, Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and the two boys, Chilion and Marlon, escape the famine and go to Moab. Moab, during the Exodus, had hired a prophet to curse God's people. And then the women had seduced the men of Israel to worship idols. During the time of Judges, the Moabites were one of the oppressors of Israel. They'd ruled Israel for 18 years. So it seems a strange place for Elimelech to take his uh, family, considering that his name means my God is king. Elimelech dies. The boys marry Moabite women. The boys die. And so Naomi is left uh, without any rights, without any prospects, and in a foreign land. <coughs> Naomi hears there's food in Bethlehem, so she heads home. And knowing what it's like to be a, wi a widow with no rights and no prospects, she says to her daughters-in-law, Go home to your families. Surprisingly, Ruth says, no, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Well, they get back to Bethlehem and Naomi complains to those uh, who greet her that she went out full and came back empty. And you have that uh, lovely illustration that Matthew Alder gave us of the cup draining away. 
So they arrive in chapter 2 and they need food and family. And Boaz gave Ruth a meal as she gleans in his field. And then he makes it possible for her to glean very successfully so that she takes home 20 kilos of grain for that day. And as Ian explained, all the, probably all the days of the harvest. And Ruth asks Boaz why she's found favour in his eyes. And Boaz says it's because he's heard all the help she's given Naomi and how she left her people to serve the, the Lord God of Israel. Well, Naomi, her mother-in-law, is amazed at his kindness and at the same time she recognises his special relationship of kinsman-redeemer. So in chapter 2 we see that food is sorted for the time being. But in chapter 3 we, we're dealing with family because family hasn't been sorted. Naomi and Ruth are still at risk. Naomi tells Ruth the cultural approach to secure Naomi's chances and Ruth's chances too. Ruth need not have worried about the family, Matthew uh, Leach explained to us. She could have just looked after herself. And seeing that, seeing how she looks after Naomi and the family, Boaz is taken by her kindness. And he says he will redeem them, but there's someone ahead of him who gets first dibs. So before we look at chapter 4, let's pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humble ourselves and bow before your majesty, asking from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word from Ruth, sown in us this morning, may take deep root so that persecution can't dry it out or make it shrivel, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that like seed sown in good soil, it produces 30, 60 or 100 times as your point. Amen. Well, chapter 4, verse 1. And we have Boaz had gone up to the, to the gate. And on your screen you'll see a picture of Pompeii City Gate, I hope. And that might give you an idea of what it was like at Bethlehem. Like you can imagine it gets crowded there like coals on a Saturday morning. <laughs> well, who should happen by but the other Redeemer? And as Ian explained, there's no chances it's God-ordained. Well, Boaz tells this relative, after he's got the ten witnesses together, he says to this other redeemer, there's land for sale. And this other redeemer says, great, I'll buy it. It's... It might have been a fire sale. The price was right and he had the money. Now the land connects to the promised blessings. Remember that Israel was promised a land flowing with milk and honey. 
but it was the land that gives the milk and honey. And it's God's good law and kindness that we see in Leviticus 25, verses 23 to 28, that ensured the survival of the clan and the tribe by keeping the land and the harvest the land produced in the family. It couldn't be privatised and sold to foreigners. And this, this lever at marriage that um, Boaz is about to undertake protected widows by ensuring that they had a male provider and protector in a society where women had to rely on men to provide for them. Then Boaz explains the rest of the deal. You get to marry Ruth the Moabite to carry on the name of the dead. The other redeemer uh, does the sensible thing. He consults his business advisors and he takes the safe option. The price is right, but the associated costs are high and he won't risk it. Of what is he afraid? To him, marrying a poor widow from that alien place perhaps would blemish his family, disgrace his line. Or perhaps he had another wife, and if he took Ruth, he feared family strife. Or maybe he knew the first son would carry, would carry on a Limelech's line, so the money you pay for the land can only provide income until that son takes over. Or maybe she, he thought she, she might bring him lots of children and they'd all expect shares of the estate, which would scatter it into too many hands, ruining his family. Of what are we afraid? Where does he want his name? Verse 6 says, The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. He's worried for his descendants. But do you notice that he's only called the Redeemer? Boaz must have known his name. He calls him friend. This other Redeemer has a speaking part in the story compared with Marlon and, and Chilion. They go, marry and die. Yet their names are recorded. Not his. Where do you want your name? Giving Boaz the sandal, the right of walking on the land perhaps, seals the deal. Boaz is transparent and accountable. In front of witnesses, he presents the deal straight. He doesn't pressure the other person. He makes them aware of the implications. He doesn't manipulate them or hide things. Now Boaz is the same, taking up his duty. He says, witness this. I've bought all that belonged to Elimelech, and that could have included any debts. I take Ruth to carry on the name of the dead man. Boaz is willing to pay the price, including the relationship costs. He's willing to marry the Moabite and risk his reputation. He's noble because... 
he does this to perpetuate the name of the dead rather than his own. He's caring because he's willing to take on the bitter, uh, the bitter widow in the deal. So now family is secured. Please see the contrast between the other redeemer and Boaz. The other redeemer takes the safe route. But Boaz isn't silly. He trusts God and in God he moves into risk trusting God to honour his word. What about us? Of what are we afraid? <coughs> William Carey, the father of missions, was afraid. And you'll see this quote on the screen. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I am afraid of succeeding, of succeeding at things that don't matter. When I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and his word is true. In verse 11, we see that the people are thrilled and they pray huge prayers. May God make the woman coming into your house, Ruth, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And you'll remember Rachel and Leah, they, they mothered the twelve who became the twelve tribes of Israel. And of Boaz they pray, may you act worthily in Ephrathah, like 2508, and be renowned in Bethlehem like Helensburg. And of any children to come, their prayer is also huge. Because Perez is the town's forebear. And you'll remember he was the child of another special woman, Tamar, by Judah, who'd used Tamar as a prostitute. Now Perez had many children. Who's their confidence in the in in praying those huge prayers. It's in the Lord. They marry and the Lord gave her conception, which is wonderful considering that she'd had no children by, by, um, by Naomi's son. And Ruth bears a, bears a son. And again, the women of the neighbourhood are thrilled. Bless the Lord who hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He'll restore your life and nourish your old age, they pray, because he'll take after your daughter-in-law who loves you. She'll make sure of it. And they praise Ruth. She is better than any number of sons. And then Naomi takes the child and lays him on her lap. Picture uh, any of the grandmothers here with their grandchildren. God has filled Naomi's bitter emptiness. Our prayers reveal our priorities. 
we pray for people. And what do we find easy to pray for them? Mostly for their healing. Here's another quote from William Carey. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It's good to pray for people's well-being, for sure. Yet are what our church expects from God and what we all attempt for God safe rather than taking risks for God? We have this wonderful renewed facility for ministry and bricks and mortar are nice and concrete, they're nice and material. Paying for them is a bit more challenging, but actually developing relationships in our, in our community, serving our communi community over long term, our children, youth, singles, elderly, that's hard yards. What are the great things we can attempt? We have here a simple story of a family who have a baby. So very ordinary. A grandmother nursing a baby. A very domestic counterpoint to the national events in Judges. Now here then, here in this, then inconsequential place, Ephrathah or Bethlehem, some were faithful to God, even to keeping the law about continuing the family name. They honour the Lord and give him glory. Humble, ordinary people. These people, God answers. God honours, rather. He answers their prayer. Even a Moabite is adopted into the family. Boaz seems perfect. What no one at, the time, at that time knew, though, this family leads to David, Israel's greatest earthly king. So God more than honours their faithfulness and prayers, And wait, there's more. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then halfway down through verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, and then down to verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And who do they have? They have Jesus. Ruth, the alien, the foreigner had no right to belong to God's people. As individuals, what are we afraid of? 
Where do you want your name? Maybe you have stuff in your life you feel excludes you from God. Is it worse than cursing God's people? Is it worse than idolatry, pornography, prostitution, murder, civil war, doing what's right in your own eyes? Listen, God is calling you today. Maybe you think it's safer to be cautious. Don't take a risk yet. Think of the unnamed Redeemer and trust God instead. He's calling you today. Maybe you're one of God's people and going through hard things and feel bitter. Worse than what Naomi went through or feeling more bitter than Naomi felt. Please don't suffer in silence, but share it with us that we can plead with God for you too. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Maybe you think this is a heavenly story, but no earthly good. See that we live for something way bigger than ourselves and in God's power we can take risks for him that we would never take outside his help. And the result is we are of more earthly good than otherwise we'd ever dare. Just think what we do now may affect generations that follow us. Maybe you think Boaz seems too good to be true. Well, remember, he's a man and the best of men are merely men. At the same time, remember, we have our own Redeemer. And paraphrasing Hebrews 4, um, our Redeemer is able to sympathise with our weaknesses who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, who, though he was in the form of God, from Philippians 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with, a, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and, and paraphrasing John 17, who gives his wealth and honour for us. He goes so far as to share his glory with us. And Hebrews 9, who, though, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God and freed us from dead-end efforts trying to make ourselves respectable so we can live all out for God. Our Redeemer did this not just for two people, not just for one family, not just for one nation. He paid for all the world. There's going to be a prayer on the screen now and I'd like you to read it through and then I'll pray it with you. 
It's over two screens. And if that's something you can pray, please end it with a hearty Amen. Father, we see how you worked in Naomi's life. We see how kind Ruth was to Naomi as she trusted you and your people. We see how kind Boaz was as he trusted you. And we see how easy it is to be afraid, scared to take the risk to follow you, to trust you. Father, move us a little bit close to you. Help us to take the risk to follow you more. Not in our own strength, but by your spirit in the power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If uh, this morning you've done business with God in a way that's been different from usual, It would be great if you would tell somebody. You might want to tell Matt Alder or Ian Council or, or Matthew Leach or Steve or me or one of the ladies. Of course, it would be a great encouragement to hear how you've been impacted. Thank you.